Tonight, you folks at home and we here in the Coliseum will watch history in the making. The first game ever for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Excited to be here. With that being said, you know I'm, I'm beyond excited to, to continue as the coach of the head coach of the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. 4.7 seconds. Gibson's got to get it in. Does Wiggins drives across midcourt. Andrew lets it fly at the buzzer for the win. Welcome back to the Howl here on Dash Radio's Nothing But That Channel. And we want to remind everybody that we have joined the Off The Ball Network. So we really appreciate wherever you are accessing us from, whether it's Nothing But Net, whether it's in podcast form on any of the podcast websites you may listen. You can also check out all the other great shows on Off The Ball Network. Go to offtheballnetwork.com and you can check out all that coverage, whether it's articles, other podcasts, radio shows. We have everything on offtheballnetwork.com, including coverage of all different sports. A reminder that we are sponsored by BetUS. BetUS is the newest sponsor of the Off the Ball Network. They have the fastest payouts in the industry and offer a 125% sign-up bonus when you use promo code OFFTHEBALL in all caps at sign-up. Head over to BetUS.com to sign up today. Again, that's BetUS.com, promo code OFFTHEBALL in all caps. Unlike all the other bars out there that taste either like old Play-Doh or a piece of cardboard, when you eat a Built Bar, you will think you are cheating on your diet with a delicious chocolate dessert. If your kids find out how good these are, you're going to have to buy more because they will be begging for them. They have great flavors such as cookies and cream, double chocolate, strawberry, peanut butter brownie, and much more. Use the code OFFTHEBALL in all caps at checkout to get a 10% discount at Built.com. Again, that's OFFTHEBALL, all caps, at checkout to get a 10% discount at Built.com. Let's talk Timberwolves. And of course, how happy are we as Wolves fans now after that fantastic win in Game 1 in Memphis against the Grizzlies? You watch this game... And for me, at least, I come away looking at the Timberwolves in a completely different manner, especially when I look at the rest of the Western Conference as a whole. Heck, the rest of the, the, the league as a whole. And what I mean by that is, let's examine the Wolves roster. <clears throat> you look at 
Carl Towns, you look at Anthony Edwards. Let's start there. When you think of those two players, and then you look at the rest of the league, I find myself saying, who's stopping those guys? Who's on when you whether you look at Let's look at the potential second-round matchup, right? Let's say we're playing the Warriors. Who on the Warriors is stopping Carl Anthony Towns? Are they going to put Draymond Green on him? Draymond Green's not the same player he used to be. Not a bad player, but that would be, what, maybe their best chance to try to stop Carl Towns, right? But then you jump over and you say, all right, who's guarding Ant then, right? That's the question you run into there. And you look at how well Ant's been playing defense, Who's he going to shut down on the Warriors team? It's just an interesting dichotomy when you look at some of the teams in the West. You look at, let's say the Warriors don't win this series, which at this point seems pretty far-fetched. I think the Warriors absolutely win this series. But let's, just for argument's sake, say they don't. Now you're going to look at Denver. Does Denver scare anybody? They've talked about how now we're we're fairly certain that Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. are not coming back. If those two guys are on the on the Denver Nuggets, completely different team, 100%. But they're not there now. And so when you look at that team, does that team really scare you when you talk about the matchup against the Wolves? I don't think so, me personally. Who's stopping Carl Towns? Who's stopping Anthony Edwards? Sure, Jokic is going to get his. Maybe he even averages a triple-double in the series, right? That's possible that he p- plays out of his mind because he's a fantastic player. As much as I don't – I'm not a big fan of Nikolai Jokic. I respect him, and I understand what a talent, what a fantastic player he is. But Denver doesn't scare me. The Warriors, I do think, would be a really good – you know, the Warriors would be favor- favorites for a reason. No questions asked. And I, believe me, I'm not trying to put the cart before the horse. The Wolves have won a single game in the playoffs. I get it. My point is just when I look back at that game, I say to myself, really what hurts the Wolves in many matchups are the Wolves themselves. You think about Carl Towns and his arguments with the officials, which I'm not going to go down that road for the millionth time. We've hashed that here on on the Howl Radio, on Dash Radio's Nothing But That channel. So many different episodes, so many different shows. We've done this. We've talked about that aspect. But just in terms of this conversation, that's where my head is at. I say if you can go into a game, let's take that Grizzlies game as like a microchasm of this team or of things as a whole. And if you look at that, and you say, all right, Carl Towns didn't let the referees get to him, didn't pick up any stupid fouls. In fact, he didn't even have a foul till the second half, if I recall the specifics of the timing there. But if Carl Towns doesn't take himself out, what, what team worries you? Now, granted, you make it to the championship somehow, or sorry, if you make it to the Western Conference Finals somehow, which I'll tell you right now, I've got a 100-to-1 bet that the Wolves do, in fact, make it to the Western Conference Finals against the Suns. I should say it's more than just that. I have a 100-to-1 bet that it ends up being Wolves taking on the Suns, Heat taking on the Bucks, Bucks win, Suns win, and then Suns win the championship. So, anyways, again, not trying to put the cart before the horse. That's just where I'm at 
in terms of thinking ahead is if Carl Towns doesn't get in his own way, who in the league is stopping him? Now, granted, there's something about DeAndre Ayton and the Suns. There's just so much firepower there that just collectively that's that that's a challenge. And it's not impossible, but it would be tough to beat the Suns. And if you look at the games where we played them this season, one of the big issues that comes up a lot in those Suns games, and I'm talking really, really bad. You can listen back to the episodes of the Hall Radio when we break down those games. Referees played a major role. So now you're talking about exactly that, right? If you're going into the game thinking, all right, historically we play the Suns, the referees are really bad. Well, now you look at that aspect and you say, all right, now what's going to happen with Carl Towns? Is he going to have those issues that have prevented him and prevented the team from having success? He might. And that's where that's the first team when I look at the potential matchups, that's really the team that would worry me the most. So we'll see what happens there. But when I look at that first game, you look at Carl Towns doesn't doesn't you know shoot himself in the foot, doesn't have a lot of issues with the referees. There were a few times where he got upset with the officials. And I will say this. I thought Carl Towns probably could have had more fouls than he, than he was actually called for. I think that's fair to say. But at the same time, the fouls that they didn't call him for are the same fouls that Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, a lot of these other centers, these big-name guys, also don't get called for. So to me, I don't think it's unfair to say that this is a long time coming. Carl Towns deserves that superstar treatment. He deserves that star treatment. Can't remember him ever getting it. And I'm not saying that's necessarily what he got here in this first game against the Grizzlies. My point just being this was a little better than what we're used to. And I appreciate that. The one thing, now look at let's actually let's move next to Anthony Edwards, who by the way, if you have not seen it, so he was on ESPN NBA today. You can actually find the video on YouTube. It's actually right on ESPN's YouTube page. It's uh, actually titled Anthony Edwards on Smack Talk, Pat Bev, and more. It's like a just under six-minute video. It's worth watching. He has some uh, interesting stuff to say. He's always a fantastic interview. Whether you like the Timberwolves or not, I just don't know how you can't love Anthony Edwards and everything he brings to the table. There's so much to like. He's such a fantastic player, such a fantastic interview. There's just so many aspects of, of Ant's, not only his game, but just Ant as a person that are fantastic. And this is just one of those fun little interviews. I think that uh, certain aspects of ESPN, you know, I'm not a big ESPN guy, but certain certain things that they do, you know, the host of this today, I think she does a fantastic job. Richard Jefferson, I'm a huge Richard Jefferson fan, loved him when he was in the league, and I actually think he did a very good job uh, on this game. I've watched, so I don't know how everyone else approaches this, but for me, I love watching, first of all, I'm always going to default to Dave Benz and default to Jim Peterson. But I watched both. Watched both of these games and really enjoyed both the national broadcast as well as the local one. And it's nice to kind of get a, a feel for how the different uh, broadcasts see our team and how, how they see the Grizzlies as well. So I always find that kind of interesting. 
some things when I look at this this first game, you know, we touched a little bit on on the Carl Towns versus the refs aspect of things. Uh, you know, we're looking at Anthony Edwards again. There's some cool interviews out there with him. He's doing a great job as far as publicity and just hitting up the press. He's so quotable. But as a player, we're talking about him on the court. He was absolutely fantastic. One of the best. So the statistic they talked about is you're the first game in the playoffs. It's like the young players, their first game in the playoffs. And he was what he, he finished just shy of Luka Doncic, who had 41. So that's the record. So very impressive what he was able to do there. And a big part of why the Wolves were able to get out to a fast start. And not just a fast start, by the way, but here's a fun statistic. They brought this up during the telecast. So it's been over the last 60 years, only one other team, and I'll say this, I don't know who the other team is. Only one other team has scored as many points as the Wolves in the first game on the road. That's how incredibly impressive the Wolves were. No one gets over 40 points. It just does not happen on the road in the playoffs. It's just unheard of. So you get off to that fast start. And the lead ebbed and flowed a little bit throughout the game. And we'll we'll touch on that a little bit. But ultimately, you get out, you, you know, you punch them in the mouth. And the Grizzlies really just never seem to recover. You know, one of the things I've touched on in the preview for the series was my worry about a player like Steven Adams, players like Triple J, just offensive rebounding in general from the Grizzlies. The offensive rebounding from the Grizzlies this season has been fantastic. In fact, they're near the top, if not the top in the league. And so you're talking about offensive rebounds leads to second chance points. There's all these other aspects. It's like a trickle down effect here. And the Wolves were fantastic on defensive rebounding, offensive rebounding. I was so incredibly impressed. They really took Steven Adams out of the game. Jim Peterson actually talked about how this season in general, the Wolves, when you look at the matchup between Carl Towns and Steven Adams, Carl Towns has dominated that matchup. I look back, and to me, I thought for sure Steven Adams had really had our numbers still a little bit this season as far as offensive rebounding is concerned. But I'll tell you right now, he was no match for Carl Towns in that first game. And how about this? If you look ahead, so I'm recording this on late Monday night, and I look at that Tuesday game coming up. So game two, of course, in this series. And I, I look at it and I say, if we win that game, the series is over, right? To me, you win the first two games in Memphis, I just don't see how you don't win the series. I just don't. And to be honest, I, I think you have a really good shot of sweeping. I don't, you know, you look at the regular season, it was two and two. Two, the, two wins for the Grizzlies, two for us. It was, you know, you won your home games, you lost your away games. So I get it. Obviously, if we were to win the first two games, we're bucking that trend. But you're telling me that not only are we going to do it, but the Grizzlies are going to do it too? I don't see that at all. Tuesday night's game doesn't decide the series if the Grizzlies win, but it absolutely, to me, decides the series if the Wolves win. I think the series is absolutely over. Because you're talking about 
the only way Memphis wins this series at that point is if they find a way to take two out of three games in Minnesota. Does anyone actually think that's possible? There's, to me, there's no chance. Absolutely no chance. So a lot, a lot on the line, and this is this is a good argument. I was having this conversation with a an NBA fan, not a Wolves or a Grizzlies fan, but an NBA fan that, that knows basketball well, for the most part, I'll say. And he was talking about when you look at this Tuesday night game, so the Grizzlies are favored by, I think it's seven or seven and a half points. And to me, I don't see, even if the Wolves do lose this game, I don't see any way they lose by eight or more points. That's To me, that's ludicrous. I don't see that happening at all. And so he thinks it's absolutely going to happen. And one of the reasons is it's that back-against-the-wall mentality. It's the idea that, you know, there's all this motivation. It's, a, as he put it, a revenge game, so to speak. I think all of that is true. I think there's that much on the line, and that's what makes it that much tougher to win that game. But it's also why if you somehow find a way to do it, to me, the series is over. Yes, there's more games to be had, but if you win tomorrow night, it's over. Done and done. Well, time will tell there, and let's. Uh, I want to get back into the first game a little bit still. So one aspect of this game, we talked about how it kind of ebbed and flowed a little bit in terms of the lead for the Wolves. One thing that really hurt the Wolves was the minutes that Carl Towns didn't play, and that was minuscule. He played so often, and you didn't have a lot of options, right? You put Nas Reed in. Nas Reed was not the player you got in that Clippers series. Nas Reed was the player you got most of the regular season, unfortunately. Now, part of that wasn't his fault. I want to say I thought he was the beneficiary of some real tough calls. I think one or two of his fouls were tough. One of them, by the way, uh, Tyus Jones with an absolute flop. And it wasn't the only time he flopped in this game. I got to say... I definitely am not the fan of Tyus Jones I used to be. He's on the other team now, right? That's part of it. But as a Minnesotan, normally I still want to cheer for you, but come on, man. I don't I don't got time for flops. I just I'm not doing that. And he's not the only one. John Morant flopped a few times. Um I feel like there were a few other guys that maybe flopped in this game for the Grizzlies. But definitely Tyus Jones stood out to me. And that was a little frustrating, but those minutes just didn't go well for Nas Reed, unfortunately. Now, I think it's important to note, someone else pointed this out. So you think about the way the Grizzlies use their players, and then you take a look at what do we have behind Carl Towns? What are the options? In this game, we tried two different things. One, we tried Nas Reed. Didn't work out. But the problem that you run into is that when – if you try to make changes to your lineup, let's say you wanted to try to go Greg Monroe, that's a little tough because Greg Monroe's not some super athletic player. He's not fast. And now you're talking, what about when the Grizzlies are doing, let's say, Brandon Clark at the five or one of those lineups that they try that's just a little different? To me, that's tough. Probably the only way Greg Monroe would work is if you had him in the game and he was going up against Steven Adams. I think that... I think that could work. But what the Wolves tried is Nas Reed, and we obviously know that that just ended up not panning out so well. Nas Reed was kind of back to his old ways, unfortunately. We did run a little bit. I believe it was Prince. We tried a little of, of it with Prince, 
And that actually worked out pretty good, or at least better uh, than it could have. So I'm I'm curious which direction we go in game two. A lot of it depends on probably Carl Towns, foul trouble, uh, how things are going for him. How are the Grizzlies handling? Are they in foul trouble? Are there issues there? There's lots of little things to kind of take into account when you're taking a look at how game number two is going to go. In I want to uh, take a little look at the foul aspect of this last game. A couple things that really stood out to me. We already touched on the Tyus Jones and, and the flopping. That was a little bit of an issue for me. I got in an argument with somebody, another member of the Off the Ball Network, and he was saying how he felt that uh, Triple J got screwed by the refs, and he was adamant. And I brought it. I asked him a, a few times about this. He was very adamant. So unfortunately for him, I take this pretty seriously when it comes to my passion for the Wolves, my passion for basketball, the NBA, etc. And one thing, I, I really pride myself on. Yes, I complain about referees probably more than most, but. When I complain about the officiating, I don't do it blindly. I'm willing to back it up. And in this case, I did just that. So we had this difference of opinion. And I told him, I said, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you the clips. And I would love to get your input. I want you to tell me what you're seeing that I'm not seeing. And, you know, fairness and conversation. I took those clips, sent them out on Twitter. And again, if you don't follow me, you definitely should. Or I would I would love it if you did. The Sports Min. So the sports min, and that's M-I-N-N, and that's my handle on Twitter. Otherwise, you can also follow us as a show at the Howl Radio, and of course as a radio station at NBN Dash Radio. But regardless, I sent out all those clips and I asked for feedback on Twit on my personal Twitter account. And so far, it's been nothing but support for the fact that every single foul was a good call against Triple J. The referees didn't have some sort of agenda. On top of that, there were two calls that were not made, both of which that were clearly fouls. One, Triple J shoves Nas Reed out of bounds. Not called. Another one, a completely illegal screen. And he actually, if you put it in slow motion, he almost looks like he purposely trips Torian Prince. Neither of those is called. If every single call was made against Triple J, eight fouls. Now, granted, that includes the technical which was clear as day, right? It does look like Jade McDaniels maybe says something to him, but you can't be shoving guys when you're right next to the ref. You're going to get called for text. You absolutely are going to get called for text at that point. So I would encourage people to, to, to search out that thread if you have the time, and I would love for you to comment on it. I've got, again, video clips of every single one of the Triple J files, and to me, they're all no-brainers. But, again, I want other people's opinions, and the, and like I said, yes, I'm quick to, to yell at officials, get frustrated at bad officiating, but I'm willing to back it up. I'm willing to support what I feel with video evidence, and I'm more than willing to listen if someone tells me I'm wrong. In fact, I have an acquaintance that is a Wolves fan with me, Gary, who is a longtime high school basketball official. And I, you know, I reached out to him, got him to jump into that thread as well and give his two cents, and he completely agreed. There's one specific call that was maybe, as he put it, 50-50. I completely agree with him. It was a 50-50 call. And I think the reason he got called, this specific play was Triple J gets called for an offensive foul for a charge as he runs over Vando. And I think the reason why this gets called 
is because he does the one thing you're not supposed to do, and that's he lowers his shoulder. Again, it's 50-50, but again, if you take that call away, guess what? There's still six other calls. If you don't, if you don't count the tech, there's still six other foul calls that are out there. So I'm sorry, but you know what? You can't complain about Triple J. And if he got taken out of that game just in terms of the referees hurting what he brought to the table, that's on him. And he did exactly what people complain about Towns doing and what Towns didn't do in this game. That's going to be another big aspect of the game on Tuesday. I think if you can kind of get into his head a little bit, that can make a big difference. You want to frustrate Triple J. You want to get him angry at the officials. You want to get him just you know heightened, heightened up and emotional. I think that can only go well if you're the Wolves. Another aspect of the foul aspect was I thought there were a number of fouls uh, that were called on the Wolves against John Morant that were complete BS. One of the main plays that I had a problem with late in the game is the D'Angelo Russell foul in transition where he gets called for not only a foul but a clear path foul. Here's my two problems with this. Again, shout out Richard Jefferson as he points this out on the ESPN telecast. And he talks about how his issue with this play and this being called a foul, a clear pass style is because D'Angelo Russell's going, he's even with John Morant. And then what he does is he goes around him and then to the side to get the steal. That goes against the spirit of the rule. That is not the purpose of that rule. I know it, you know it, and Richard Jefferson knows it, and he pointed it out. Now, granted, the Wolves had a very similar play a few possessions later, and they did call it the same way. So it worked out for both teams, but I would argue don't call either of those. Don't call either of those. Not, I'm not saying they shouldn't be called fouls necessarily. I'm just saying specifically in regards to clear path, I don't like that call. And as Richard Jefferson points out, you look at it this way. If the player goes up for the shot and you're behind him and you do one of those, like let's say the LeBron, that strategic chase down block, if you get the block there, it's not called anything, right? And so that's kind of the concern there is, yes, let's say it's a foul. Should it really be clear path? And I think that's something the league should definitely look to address. That's a specific instance. Again, it's kind of tough, and it, it makes it into a little bit of a judgment call, but I would like it if it if the rule had a little bit of flexibility. That would make all the difference in the world, if you ask me. But the reason I bring the other reason I bring that play up is if I when I watch that back, is it even a foul? D'Angelo Russell kind of slaps down, and of course that's why they call it a little bit, but also John Morant with an absolute flop, absolutely flop, oversells it, and gets the call, unfortunately. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. But there were a number of calls I thought that John Morant got that were very much superstar calls. A lot of BS there. We'll see how that kind of translates into Tuesday night's game. But ultimately, again, we look at this game as a whole, and there's so much to like if you're a Wolves fan in this from this Monday game. I'm very excited for Tuesday's game. For anyone that doesn't know it, it is a 7.30 start time. It is, of course, on Bally Sports North. And for the national audience, it is, unfortunately, on NBA TV. And I've seen a number of analysts or media members frustrated by this because if you're a, 
a national person, number one, not everyone has NBA TV. But what are you doing not making Ant versus John Morant the big, this big game? I just – to relegate it to NBA TV is, is a mistake. And hopefully anyone that wants to watch this game is still able to do so. That's kind of where I'm at with that. Again, a solid performance, I think, from a lot of Wolves. You know, we touched on this earlier. Players taking themselves out of games. I was very surprised at D'Angelo Russell in this game. Just didn't seem to have it. I watch D'Angelo Russell. He's, you know, he's always given that the effort. The effort's there. But outside of effort, you know, the shot wasn't there. He made some tough decisions. It really was just kind of a one-off game. And what's crazy is you have D'Angelo Russell have that type of game, and yet almost start to finish, the Wolves dominate this game. They were by far the better team. So now you go back to that discussion we had earlier, and you look at Carl Towns and Anthony Edwards. Who's going to stop them, right? And a lot of times you say it's going to be they stop themselves. D'Angelo Russell is similar. The difference being, I don't think that D'Angelo Russell is as important now as he was earlier in the season. Earlier in the season, it was almost like if D'Angelo Russell played, we won. If he lost, if we lost, he he obviously sat out. And even in the games where he did play, even if he didn't have his greatest game, it was very clear he had a large impact. This felt like more like that, where maybe he didn't have the best game, but you still felt he had some sort of an impact there. But to play as good as the Wolves did, and you got a pretty mediocre outcome from D'Angelo Russell is huge. Because now, what happens when D'Angelo Russell shows up? And this is something I've talked about throughout the season, is for the Wolves to be successful, they need two out of three guys at a minimum to show up between Carl Anthony Towns, Edwards, and D'Lo. And they got that. That has to be what the team strives for going forward. The Grizzlies, you know, they have a great bench. They have a very good bench, but so do the Wolves. You look at this past game, the bench wasn't maybe as good as you wanted them to be. I Obviously, we touched on Reed a little bit. The guy that didn't play a ton of minutes, but I thought actually was decent in his minutes was J-Mac. Uh, uh, J and then if we jump to the other J, Jaden was fantastic in this game. Malik Beasley was, I mean, he was he was solid. You can't go wrong with Malik Beasley. Putting in good minutes, playing decent defense. You just really see him becoming a more complete player. And that's huge because there were many times throughout the season where you kind of felt like if Malik Beasley wasn't shooting well, he wasn't giving you anything. And I'm not saying he, he was given bad effort necessarily, although I do think there were maybe some health concerns with uh, you know some of his off-the-court issues earlier in the season. But now he seems good to go. And you just look at this team top to bottom, whether it's the top guys, of course, with Carl Towns, Anthony Edwards, that, that maybe really close second in D'Angelo Russell. And then you talk about the bench and the depth that you have there. There's so many players that can make such a positive impact is exactly why I find myself saying the Wolves can make a run here. So we'll see. A lot to like. Uh, you know, one one other player I do want to touch on, and I think it's important to really give him a shout-out because he had probably the game-clinching basket 
And that's Jaden McDaniels. And he had that fantastic corner three that really seemed to seal the deal in this one. There's so much like what Jaden offensively and, of course, defensively. How can you not be a huge Jaden McDaniels fan when you watch him perform? So much to like from the Wolves. I look at this Tuesday game on the surface. I think it's going to be closer than we saw that game number one. But I'm going to still go positive. I'm going to go on the limb a little bit. And I'm going to say the Wolves do find a way to win this game number two. We'll see. Nothing set in stone, but I do think the Wolves have a, a good shot. And my prediction is they're going to win, you know, in that like two to six range, two to seven range. That's kind of where I predict the win to be. It's not going to be as dominant as game number one. Things will be a lot closer. So that's going to do it for this edition of The Howl. Thank you for tuning in. Very excited for Tuesday night's matchup. And we will come back with a fresh episode uh, shortly after that game, probably probably looking Wednesday sometime or Thursday sometime. So until next time, let me get a howl.